Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast about foreign policy and world affairs. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch. And in this show, we discuss topical global issues, have conversations with foreign affairs thought leaders and newsmakers, and give you the context you need to understand the world today. Go to globaldispatchespodcast.com to learn more. And now on with the show. South Africa is experiencing what demographers call a youth bulge. That is, young people make up a very large percentage of the entire population. There are youth bulges similar to that in South Africa, in many countries in Africa and Asia. And one key challenge facing societies in which young people make up a large proportion of the population is what happens when these young people become of working age. In South Africa, and in many countries with similar demographics, unemployment rates among young people is orders of magnitude greater than the overall unemployment rate. And as my guest today, Nicola Gallambic, explains, when large numbers of young people are unemployed, the knock-on effects for society in general can be extremely negative. So, Nicola Gallambic has embarked on a strategy to reduce unemployment in her native South Africa. She is the co-founder of the Harambe Youth Employment Accelerator, a social enterprise that is not only helping to find young people jobs at scale, but is changing mindsets around employing young people. Youth unemployment is a key driver of instability in many countries around the world, and as you will see from this conversation, the Harambe Youth Employment Accelerator has found a formula to take on what is essentially a demographic challenge. This episode is part of a content partnership with the Skoll Foundation to showcase the work of the 2019 recipients of the Skoll Award for Social Entrepreneurship. The Harambe Youth Employment Accelerator is one of those recipients. The Skoll Awards distinguish transformative leaders whose organizations disrupt the status quo, drive sustainable large-scale change, and are poised to create even greater impact on the world. Recipients receive $1.5 million in core support investments to scale up their work. This is a great conversation about structural issues around youth unemployment in South Africa and how to overcome those issues, and I think you will enjoy it. Now, here is my conversation with Nicola Gallambic of the Harambe Youth Employment Accelerator. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. So South Africa has one of the biggest youth employment problems in the world. Uh, about 57% of our youth are unemployed. And just to give you, I mean, a perspective. So, so that's like two, you know, two in three young people that are exiting the schooling system uh, face unemployment. And that has been the situation in South Africa for quite some time, and it is quite systemic. Uh, in fact, our statistician general estimated that 42% of young South Africans uh, may never work in their lifetime. So we have a really sort of sticky 
systemic problem around youth unemployment. And we're a bit ahead of the curve um, with the rest of the world on on that challenge. Well, what are some of the contributing factors to this systemic problem? I mean, th- that's like an astounding statistic you just cited. Mm-hmm. So there are many factors that contribute. I mean, the one is um, slow growth in our economy, um, but it's also the structure of our economy that uh, we've had uh, significant growth Uh, if you look at the past several decades, but that growth hasn't uh, kept up with population growth in terms of the jobs that it has created. And I think when you think about, you know, uh, the future of work and and the digital economy, uh, you know, that situation is likely to get worse rather than better uh, and is is likely to to foreshadow that that trend uh, outside of South Africa. But certainly in our economy, we have had this problem for quite some time. We have industries that have grown uh, in ways that haven't been job rich. Uh, we have a economy built um, on quite high skilled sectors like financial services um, and increasingly, you know, digitizing sectors like mining. And, um, you know, we have, you know, although we have a universal access to education, we do not have a very highly functioning Perform, high-performing education system. So we have a very significant uh, mismatch between the the jobs and the demand that does exist in the economy and the young people uh, that we have that are exiting our education system. So one thing, one question I had going into this conversation are, you know, what distinguishes the kind of like social ills around youth unemployment in particular and unemployment in general? I mean, we all know that unemployment, you know, causes all sorts of like negative externalities, but what's specific about youth unemployment that's so problematic that distinguishes it from sort of conventional unemployment? Well, I think, you know, I mean, the first thing just from a sort of social cohesion perspective is that you know, young people need to feel that they have a pathway to progress. Um, they have expectations, they have aspirations, um, they have, the, you know, energy that they that they that they accumulate in abundance when they're teenagers, when they're young adults. And if they don't have a a pathway, if they don't have, if they can't see um, how they might progress and how they might uh, find their autonomy. Uh, be able to move out of home, be able to set up um, their own families. If, if they don't have, you know, that prospect, um, then they are likely to express their, not just their discontent with that situation, but sort of, a, you know, express their energy and express their aspiration in, in other ways. And that may be in, in protest. It may be in, in anger. Um, or it may be in just social disconnection and disaffection. So I think there's a sort of profound thing about young people coming of age and and that moment where we we have to imagine that they can progress into the economy um, for them to feel positive and have the currency of hope. I think that is particular to to that sort of a generation of young people. But I think also that you know an economy really. If, if you look at sort of the history of growth, you know, recent growth in, in many economies, you know, a, a young working age population should be an absolute dividend uh, for an economy uh, rather than a burden. And I think that our challenge now is to to try and realize 
that asset of a a growing youth population on the African continent and and including in South Africa, and, and how to realize it as an asset, so as not to you know I think face the the very negative consequence of a generation of disaffected and socially excluded youth. That, that's interesting. You know, when you look like the global north, um, the sort of demographics are almost inverted, where you have like an aging population, as opposed uh, with like very, you know, with low employment, and they're sort of desperate for more young people to work to, you know, refill their um, social welfare coffers, whereas the problem seems inverse in South Africa, as you're describing. That's right. I think the, the problem is inverse both demographically, as in we're, you know, we're experiencing and certainly the African continent is experiencing a youth bulge at a time when a lot of countries in the north are experiencing, you know, an aging population. And similarly, I mean, it's also a different dynamic on the demand side where you're going, you know, in many economies in the north from a, a situation of near or, or full employment to sort of facing the prospect of the destruction of jobs through the fourth industrial revolution and, and other trends and, um, and and people facing, you know, the prospect of a future where there will be fewer jobs. Whereas I think in our context, um, you know, the, the absence of uh, a great number of jobs to, to attract and, 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 and uh, be a, you know, to absorb the large numbers of young people has in fact been with us for decades. Um, so we, we face that future of work, uh, already. So you described um, a demographic situation sort of working against the prospect of lowering youth unemployment, and you described systemic challenges that uh, that hinder lowering youth unemployment. How did you come up with Harambi as a solution to this challenge? Well, I think that um, there are sort of three three philosophical starting points when one's facing the, uh, you know, a challenge of that scale. I think the, the first is that to the extent that there are limited opportunities available in the economy, it's really important that we're able to distribute and spread those opportunities in a fairly equitable way. Uh, because otherwise what we have is growing inequality that, that is more and more entrenched intergenerationally. And so the first idea of the Harambe Youth Employment Accelerator was to try and, and in a sense, shift some of the network dynamics, some of the inclusion and exclusion factors that meant that the, that the limited number of opportunities at the entry level that are available in the economy um, wouldn't only go to those households that are already active in the economy, already have networks in the economy and already progressing, but would rather be more equitably spread and be able to, um, to benefit uh, households that at the moment in South Africa are largely excluded from the formal economy um, and are dependent on the state for, for social benefits. So um, that was like one idea was to, to, in a sense, create a more inclusive labor market for matching demand and supply. The, the second idea um, was that, you know, if we're going to grow the economy, we have to be able to and, and grow the economy inclusively for young people. We have to be able to in a, be quite agile in ensuring that the young people we have are have the right kind of skills and the right kind of work readiness to take up and respond to opportunities that that can and and will grow in the economy, um, rather than be watching you know that growth from from the outside because their skills um, are, are simply inappropriate. So. Um, the, the second 
um, idea of, of Harambee was to, in a sense, um, do two things. The, the first was to acknowledge that while, while there is a skills gap, we think that often that is overinflated in, in the minds of employers and often in, in the minds of the state as well. Um, in the sense that we, we tend to use the, the traditional qualifications um, that sort of represent pretty much 19th century education um, as measures of, of my competence, of my capability. Like you do well and on a test, it, you have certain skills, that sort of thing. Yes, and or you've you've passed certain levels of schooling, or you've you've qualified from a tertiary institution, right? Mm. You've you've graduated in some program, and you know only only twenty five percent of South African youth actually ever go into higher education programs post schooling, and our schooling system is fairly poor. So if you're going to use only those kinds of qualifications, how well you can perform on a maths test, or you know, that you've got a computer science degree from a, a, a university. If those are going to be your only measures and your only proxies for whether young people are capable of performing in the economy, then you're one, actually going to face skill scarcity pretty much forever. And secondly, uh, young people are going to be kept out of the economy by the, effectively those qualifications requirements become barriers. To their 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 entry into the economy, so what Harambi has been trying to do is find new ways both of assessing young people's potential, and in a sense trying to create breakthrough solutions to how to help young people see what they're capable of, and build on their own employability and capability to be productive in the economy, and also then change the way employers. Uh, beha uh, behave in terms of their hiring practices and give employers new tools for judging young people's potential uh, so that we can, in a sense, create a much more fluid um, and inclusive uh, pathways for young people into all the kinds of new work opportunities that that are and can be created in the economy. You know, we, we can bemoan the fact that we're, we're losing what were traditionally, you know, very formal sector uh, stable forms of jobs. Um, we, we, of course, need to try and grow those, but we also understand that there are new forms of work that are emerging and growing, whether it's gig work, whether it's, uh, you know, more informal forms of self-employment, whether it's micro-enterprise at a community level, whether it's circular economy at an, at a an community level, and how we can uh, both encourage and support young people to, to, to understand and to build their capabilities without going through formal education well, can, processes was so, a sort so of big like, theme. Maybe like talk me through an example. Like what what does this look like in practice if I'm a, I don't know, like 19-year-old South African with not the kind of formal skills, the formal training, the the degrees that um, sort of conventionally lead to jobs? Like how, how do you step in? How does Harambe step in? Well, maybe to give you a, a few examples. So, I mean, the first would be um, – you know, we might have uh, a quite a competitive um, global business services sector in South Africa um, where uh, we're able to compete in the global market for, you know, to operate uh, voice-based call centers, to operate customer service centers. Now, for young South Africans, um, they, they can and do, in fact, have very good attributes for performing in those, in those environments. But 
if they haven't been in school for some time uh, and they haven't gone to university, they they their English may may or may not be at a level, and certainly their spoken English may not be at a level where they're going to immediately succeed in a call center environment. Um, they may have uh, grown up sort of using their mobile phone, but they may have never seen a computer and they may have never touched a keyboard. And those are not things you need to go to university for, but they're also not things that these young people can just, you know, sort out on their own um, because there's no one at their home that speaks English and th that they're going to practice their English with. And there's no computer at home and no necessarily opportunity to get access to that. So there would be an example where having understood the sort of quite small and simple things that we need to um, fix or, or solve for with those young people, we're able to, you know, in a matter of a couple of weeks, um, you know, with a combination of face-to-face of -face or self-directed learning opportunities, get those young people to a point where they can you know, really compete effectively, not just in South Africa, but globally in that kind of job market. And those are really great entry-level jobs for a young person from a poor family in South Africa. So that would be one example. But another one, you know, even, um, it, you know, to give you a, a, a more, um, uh, you know, a, another kind of example is, you know, at the moment, employers um, in South Africa believe that if I need to hire a junior programmer or an, an app tester, or a data analyst, there is no way I can hire such a person if they don't have a university degree. And we, you know, we just simply do not and will not produce enough graduates in, in those kinds of fields to, to grow the skills we need for that, you know, evolving digital economy fast enough. So there's an example where we are creating and working with partners um, on those sort of scaling up the breakthrough solutions to get unemployed youth into junior programming, data analytics, testing kind of jobs um, without having to go through tertiary mm -hmm. and at a speed and at a cost that is going to enable not just them to progress, but the economy to grow, you know, and, and, and to, to pivot into the digital economy. So that's another one. But then a third one would be like at a, at a level of what we would call a township, which is a kind of um, a, a historically black uh, South African community community. Um, that, you know, because of apartheid, um, a lot of those communities are, are far geographically from the center of cities and, and, and therefore, you know, transport costs are high to, to where the jobs are. And we're having to find solutions for young people to work where they live. And um, one of the examples there is, is um, you know, uh, social franchises around delivering community services like early learning. Um, being able to give people and, and scaffold uh, young entrepreneurial people who, who want to run their own micro enterprises, delivering services that are good for communities um, and that allow them to generate a livelihood. So, you know, you, you described a lot about sort of the challenges facing um, young people seeking employment. But earlier in our conversation, you sort of talked about how employers themselves have this kind of mindset that you were that, you know, they can only hire someone with a tertiary degree. What are you doing to try to change that mindset? I mean, 
the, the challenges that you outlined in the beginning of this conversation were very systemic. And one of the systemic issues was this sort of fixation, it seems, on tertiary degrees as necessary for the kinds of jobs that we expect to be more prevalent in the future. How are you changing how employers you know, view their own hiring practices? So I have to say this has been both um, the most difficult and I think the most uh, important and exciting work that, that Harambi, I think, has done over the last uh, seven to eight years is to really be on a change management journey with uh, large employers who are themselves market leaders and, and might influence both their peers, but also sort of set new standards in the economy uh, around what is and isn't okay. Um, and, um, you know, one of the ways, you know, n- nothing really replaces um, the daily slog of actually engaging directly with uh, employers. And of course, you know, in large corporate organizations, there's not one individual or or one moment at which hiring decisions get made. And, you know, what Harambi has had to do is, is really build partnerships and engage with uh, particularly large corporates uh, in the beginning in different sectors of the economy to find early adopters who would create demonstration effects, who would influence their peers, who would show the way uh, and, um, you know, who could then sort of, in a sense, shift and nudge some of the benchmarks that employers are using in different in different areas forward. Uh, and I think we've we've really had significant success in that area. And I think, you know, what what the the, the hope is is that as employers sort of you know try it out, see that it works, uh, get the you know see the return on investment of making some of those shifts, get to see the value of these amazing pool of young people that until now they haven't had access to that you eventually kind of get momentum um, in that process and eventually to tipping points where the, the sort of behaviors of employers hmm. shift. And we are starting to see that in some of the sectors in which we're working. Um, and I, I think that that's a, a really important trend. I think that the, the other factor for us is that, you know, actually, Large corporates, uh, certainly in the South African context, are unlikely to be the big job creators into the future. Uh, If anything, they're going to contract uh, from a jobs point of view. Whereas, you know, growing small and medium-sized businesses, whether they're, you know, digital businesses or whether they're, you know, you know, bog standard installation, repair and maintenance businesses or, you know, offering care and services or whether they're producing things – these are the small. These are the businesses, the small and medium-sized businesses, that are really the job creators still in the South African economy today, and and we see into the future. So, a lot of our um, focus has been on understanding that actually they SMEs um, actually face small and medium enterprises for those uh, who don't know the lingo. Yeah, SMEs. That's right. So, yes. So small and small and medium enterprises actually face more significant hiring challenges than large corporates do. Um, the risks of hiring young people who aren't work-ready, you know, are, are much tougher to deal with if you're a, a sort of entrepreneur trying to, you know, do 15 jobs uh, in a day. Um, and, and also, you know, if you're, if you're facing skill scarcity um, as a small and medium-sized business, you know, your ability to sort of compete in a scarce labor market to, to pay the kind of salaries that big corporates can pay um, are going to hit you hardest, and you know if you're a small growing business. So, 
in fact, we think that um, there's a kind of win-win there as well. If we can, if we can shift, you know, the way in which credentialing works, the way in which, um, you know, talent and skills are, are, are measured. And if, if small and medium-sized businesses can therefore access a bigger pool of young people who, despite not having the traditional qualifications may in fact be work ready and able to be really loyal contributors in those growing businesses. Um, we might have a kind of um, a virtuous cycle happening there. So can I ask, do you have like a rough estimate of the number of young people placed in jobs through uh, the Harambe Youth Employment Accelerator? So um, we've been around for about seven years now. And in that time, um, Young people have been pathwayed into 100,000 jobs mm. and work experiences by Harambe. So I asked that question because I'm wondering like, how transferable the model that you've created for South Africa is to other contexts in which there is like a youth bulge demographically and also high youth unemployment rates. Like, Have you seen or, or do you suspect that you can take what you've done in South Africa and apply that model to other countries, perhaps in the region or, or perhaps elsewhere in Asia where it has similar sort of demographic challenges? So um, we have actually already started to do that. Uh, we we have uh, the beginnings of a Harambe initiative in Rwanda uh, in partnership both with the Rwandan government, um, the MasterCard Foundation and, and other partners. And uh, uh, I, I think that it's been um, very good to see that you know, not just our work with young people, but in fact, our modality of working in the ecosystem of, of working with employers, unlocking new pathways for, for youth in the economy, um, you know, can have relevance and applicability in a, you know, in a, in a small, but, you know, really interesting growing economy like Rwanda. Um, of course, you know, we face the challenge there of, you know, a much smaller formal sector. Uh, but on the other hand, um, a you know a, a government and and private sector and international community all very focused on mm. on growth and innovation. So that's been an interesting site, and um, it's fairly early days, but we're off to a really interesting start in Rwanda. I mean, I think that um, certainly we are constantly being approached by um, both development agencies, uh, different sort of uh, you know governments from other countries. Um, as as well as private sector players who increasingly, when they visit Harambi, when they engage with what we're doing, say, wow, you know, that's our problem too. And the way you're doing it is very, you know, very innovative, very novel and is, is, is what we need. I think that um, when we've thought about, well, what would be transferable? I mean, obviously, there are principles um, that we are trying to share and, and evidence that we're trying to share. But then, you know, I think that there is probably more than that we will be able to replicate and share, um, certainly, you know, in 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 the African continent um, and in other um, developing and emerging economies and, and perhaps also in, you know, in the north. Um, and I think that one of the things that's enabling us to think in that way is we've built out a, um, you know, a pretty extensive um, and and sophisticated data enabled tech platform um, you know it's it's a it's a cloud-based platform where you know we have we can very rapidly scale 
the numbers of young people that are on the platform. It's a very data-rich um, organization. And if we're able to sort of um, apply some of that capability, um, we, we've developed something called an employability map, which is able to map young people's capabilities and and work readiness in multiple dimensions, mm-hmm. not just taking their qualifications into account. Um, we're able to nudge young people uh, towards opportunities. And we've built this capability of working with employers as well to really understand their demand side and their changing demand side needs. And I think that sort of multi-sided platform um, and the capabilities we've built will certainly have relevance and applicability in other markets. Yeah, I, I got to say, you know, what I find so interesting uh, about your approach is, you know, you're, you're not just like finding youth jobs, you're changing how we think about youth unemployment. And, you know, in so many contexts around the world, youth unemployment, you know, can be destabilizing, politically destabilizing even. And, and you've taken this kind of whole of ecosystem approach to tackle it. Um, so first, thank you. And second, congratulations on the, the school award. Thank you. Um, I think, you know, we, 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 we started tackling this problem because, you know, we're, we just like live it every day. And we know that it's key to the sustainability and the social cohesion, you know, in our society and the world. Um, and it's something we actually have to crack. It's something that is, I think, um, a key, you know, a key challenge of this generation alongside climate change and, um, and the digital revolution is, um, you know, and, and the fourth industrial revolution is this this fact that, you know, we have generation of, of young people, particularly in developing countries and like Africa, um, you know, who who need to believe that there is prospect. Um, otherwise, bets are off. Uh, well, Nicola, thank you so much for your time. This was fascinating. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Nicola. That was great. Really interesting. I, I love um, how you know, she's not only just like helping to find people jobs, young people jobs, but is changing mindsets around youth unemployment and employing youth. And I think that's an absolutely fascinating uh, project. And I'm really interested to see how it transfers to other countries in the region and beyond. As always, thank you so much for listening. Please feel free to send me an email if you have questions for me or have suggestions about people I should interview or topics I should cover. Maybe these stories of social entrepreneurs uh, inspire you. Let me know. I love hearing from you. You can use the contact button on globaldispatchespodcast.com. All right. See you later. Bye.